Well, good morning, church. What a treat to see you here this morning. Um, I want to start out with about three minutes of family time, if I can. And um, One thing that we want to do here at East Bay Calvary, we want to be transparent, open, with regards to everything that we have in our ministry and what we've done in our ministry. And so uh, as you leave this morning, as you may already know, we have financial statements on this past year and even a budget that we're looking at for this next year. We would love for you to to look over that. This isn't merely for members. This is for everyone because so many people contribute here at East Bay Calvary. We would love for you to take a peek at those things and really give us any impact uh, input and feedback that you may have on that. We're going to have a special meeting in a couple weeks on that. Also, there's going to be a sheet um, for you that's going to outline the five initiatives that we have for 2018 for our mission. We're excited about those. We've been praying about those. And those sheets are also available to you. We'd love for you to be able to look over those five things. That's why we're having you hold on to these. You notice your bulletin's getting longer and longer. Pretty soon it's going to be a scroll, and you're just going to open it up like this. But um, we would love for you certainly to be active with us in any of those five ministry elements, and they are listed on the bottom, and we would love if, if you haven't done so. If you've already filled one of these out, don't worry about filling another one out. We've got you. But if you've heard these messages either here or online and you want to participate with us, in uh, the mission that God has for us here in 2018, man, we'd love for you to do that. And just check off anything that may be of interest to you, and we'll be getting back to you. I want you to know that we have had, we have had dozens and dozens of people sign up to pray for our ministry endeavors this year. We need that, and thank you so much. Please continue to partner with us. An amazing number of people that are signed up to pray with us on these things. We had 80 individuals sign up for our five different ministry areas. Now, to me, that's phenomenal. And I say praise the Lord for that. I'm so excited. And um, so all eight of you, uh, 80 of you start tomorrow morning. We'll see you bright and early. Uh, We have already begun to contact people about our director's positions. And so do know um, you will be getting contacted. If you haven't heard from us yet, we are on it. And we want to really be able to move into 2018 with a bang. So we're very excited about that. If you want to sign up to help out with our Sportsman's Fellowship, note that on the other sheet. Just hand these to our ushers as you leave who are also going to be collecting for our Helping Hand Fund. Here's another family moment. Uh, Yesterday... With a little break in our heart, we took our Christina, our Ukrainian orphan girl, um, back to the airport, and she went back to Ukraine and is even still in flight. And um, what a treat she was. We just loved her so much. I just want you to get a little snippet of the transformation. When she came here, she was so quiet. She wouldn't say an English word because she didn't want to say it wrong. And then us laugh at her. And, And so... She didn't say an English word for probably two or three days. She would barely speak any Russian because we really didn't understand it. And our, our communication was real slow going. And, and uh, I remember the first time she said an English word, and this is going to show you how our relationship with her developed. The first time she said an English word, it was our two boys, Lana and Bryson, were just bugging the dickens out of her. 
And, and I heard them upstairs, and they were teasing and teasing and teasing. And then finally, we heard her say, Landon, stop. <laughs> and Landon came running down, and he goes, Mom, Dad, she just spoke human. <laughs> and then she opened up more and more to us, and I'll tell you how all this ended. It was just such a treat. So yesterday, oh, my word. Um, so we left at uh, about 4 a.m., and we drove down to Grand Rapids, and we flew from there to Chicago, and, um, and then we got in the plane from Chicago, and we flew to D.C., and there was a lag of about three hours when I was there with her, and, um, and so we just hung out and chatted, and we were going to have lunch and all that, and, um, and here we are, this massive, massive airport. And, um, and I needed to use the restroom, and I asked her, and basically, you know, and with Ukraine, you just say toilet, you know, and she said no. And I said, well, dad, toilet. So she says, okay. So I go over there to the restroom, and I'm about to walk in, I'm realizing I'm leaving an 11-year-old girl outside the restroom in this massive airport, and people just going by. I'm thinking, I can't do that. And, and so I'm thinking with her, and I said, I said uh, Christina, and I didn't use my translator or anything like that. I said, Christina, and our, our communication was going well. I said, um, Christina, stay here. Dad. And I said, if there's problem, holler, Dad. She goes, da, da. So I go in the restroom and I come out. And th thankfully, no problem. And, and she says, uh, oh, bed, which is lunch. I said, da, da. So we go have lunch together, and after lunch, we get done, and she says, um, Christina, toilet. I'm like, okay, so we go over to the ladies' room, and as she's about to walk in, and she turns back to me, and she says, Dad? <laughs> she goes, problem? Christina! <laughs> oh, my. What a treat. And I just need to thank you, and I hope I can do it. Some of you gave um, very generously and kindly to her. Whether gifts of clothes or money or care or hugs, and I need to say thank you. And here's the one thing you all gave her. You gave a little girl from thousands of miles away a sense of belonging. And there's only one place that she loved more than home, and that was church. She loved church. She loved seeing you. And thank you. Probably the best gift you could have ever given, you made her feel right at home here, and she did. So thank you so much for being a part of that, and we appreciate that so much. Well, here we go from one little orphan girl <clears throat> in Ukraine to another account of an orphan girl in the country of Persia. And so I invite you, go ahead and grab your copy of the scriptures. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to dig through and find the book of Esther. I can give you some directions if you're, if you're looking. It may not be a common passage that people open up to. If your Bible is just like mine, it's going to be somewhere near page 468. 
chances are it isn't just like minus. So here's an easy way to find Esther. If you open your Bible about halfway, you're probably going to come out to either Psalms or Proverbs. And if you do, take a left. Because before Psalms is the book of Job. And it's a pretty big book. And then right before the book of Job is the book of Esther. And if you're coming from the other side, it's Nehemiah, then Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. So somewhere around halfway. And then take a left and you'll find either Proverbs, Psalms, Job, Esther. And there you are. Um, If you're searching on your iPad or your iPhone or your smartphone or whatever it may be, Esther is E-S-T-H-E-R. And then that'll give you an easy way to link up and find that, and we'll be working through this together. You know, when we go through trials in our lives, one thing gnaws at the center of our hearts, and it's a theme phrase for what we're working through today and this series coming up for the next 14 weeks. And here's the words, and I know this is a big deal because you've thought it, I've thought it at many times in our lives. Where are you, God? Come on, really? And it happens in the center of a challenge, and we say, God, what is going on? Are you really there? And sometimes it's hard to read accounts in the Bible about God because he'll speak through a burning bush to people, or he'll speak in thunder, or he'll lead the children of Israel with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, And then we realize that um, God had rescued and saved his people in supernatural ways, like he did plagues of locusts on their enemies, or he parted the Red Sea, or manna rained down from heaven, and he, he supplied their needs. And so many times God intervened in direct and miraculous ways when these people came to a crisis point in their lives. And sometimes it can be difficult. Now, let's just face it. Sometimes it can be difficult to read about those incredible events happening and then not get a little bit discouraged by the fact that we usually don't see the same type of intervention when we come to our crisis point. And it can be the silence of heaven that causes the most frustration to us. We know God can communicate. But we're at a loss to know why he doesn't choose to communicate. And then when we don't hear from him, we wonder, God, are you there? Or God, are you paying attention to what's going on with me? Now, let's be honest. Aren't there times in our life when we would love to see God's direct intervention? Like, wouldn't it be nice to get a telegram that said who you're supposed to marry? Or a note pointing out this should be your college major? Or if you should take that new position. Or if you're like me, maybe the earth swallowing up your enemy would be a little more to your liking. I love this story about 
this Irish boxer. He was converted and he became a preacher and he happened to be in this new town setting up his evangelistic tent when a couple of thugs came by and noticed what he was doing and knowing nothing of his background, they made some insulting remarks to him. And the Irishman merely <clears throat> turned and looked at them and then pressing his luck, one of the bullies just hauled off and took a swing and nailed this boxer on one side of his face. And that old Irish boxer turned preacher just stuck his chin out and turned the other cheek like he knew he was supposed to and this guy hauled off and nailed him again on the other side. And that Irish boxer said, well, you know what? He takes off his coat and starts to roll up his sleeves. He says, after the second cheek, the good Lord gave me no further instructions. <laughs> well, I think we realize most of the time God, most of the time God doesn't answer in the burning bush or the handwriting on the wall. The miracle doesn't come to right our wrong or erase our negative condition. And before we get too bent out of shape, we need to take a peek at the life of a little orphan girl, a Jewish teenage orphan girl named Esther who ends up in a foreign country and in a crazy crisis that would impact millions and millions of people, and even us today. And so knowing full well that we would struggle with the very same thing, God goes ahead and offers us the account of this gal as an encouragement that even though we don't see the massive miracle, he's still there and he's still active. So you're right there in Esther. Did you find it? And you're with me. We're on the same page in chapter one and um, I want to give you some thoughts about Esther. If you would grab that long bulletin that you have, our East Bay Weekly, and look in the back, and we're going to work through a study guide together. And there will be other things you may want to write down in the meantime beyond even just what we have and take the opportunity to do that. And then even take the opportunity, if you would, you know, during the week, these messages go online on our website eastbaycalvary.org, and you can see even our messages from way back and continue to go over these things as a help and encouragement to you. So here we are in Esther 1. I, I want you to realize today is just an overview of the book that I want to give you, but the beautiful value of the book of Esther is that it is a book of crisis. It starts in crisis, and there are crises that go along all the way through this narrative and so it's something we can identify with. It's something that we can look at and say, you know what, I don't know I've been in her exact situation, but I have been in some situations. And so the beauty of all of this is God touches on a reality that we all face in crises. Here's another one. It provides answers to what God is doing when he chooses to remain silent. And there are times when we're all going through events and we're wondering what in the world is going on behind the scenes? What is God doing? And this book just peels back. We get a little idea of what's going on behind the scenes. God is not 
inactive, even if he is silent in our time of challenge. And the purpose of Esther is to demonstrate, and here's two key words for us. It is to demonstrate the providential care, the providential care of God over his people. Now, I want to just give us um, a little understanding. There's a difference. We're all familiar maybe with the words miracle or supernatural. And a miracle specifically understood is when God crosses the laws of nature and supernaturally intervenes to bring about his will. We mentioned a number of miracles that were mentioned in scripture. And some people have, have even had experiences of God crossing the laws of nature and supernaturally working in their scenario and in their life. And those are miracles. Providence is different than miracles. Providence is when God chooses to work within the laws of nature and within our circumstances to bring about his desired ends. And so you see the difference between the two. Providence comes from the Latin providio, which means to see a thing beforehand. Miracles, God works outside of the laws of nature. Providence, he works within the laws of nature, within our circumstances. I hope you can begin to decipher between the two. Most of the time, God works providentially. God works within our circumstances. Like although I was from New York and my wife was from Michigan, it was not a miracle that we met and developed our relationship in Ohio. It was God's providential work. I was in my first ministry and I was in Springfield, Ohio. She was a college student and she was in Cedarville, Ohio. And Shazam, not a miracle, providence. The miracle may have been that she said yes to marry me. But the way that we got together was just God's providential day in, day out work in our lives to bring us together. Esther's a case study of God's providential, normal, ordinary, typical work in every detail of our lives. I love this quote. I just want to give it to you for a moment. Uh, J. Sidlow Baxter describes God's activity in Esther this way. Let me give you this quote. He may be invisible, but he is infallible. He may seem strangely silent, but he remains actively sovereign. He may be unsuspected, yet omnisciently, omnipresently, and omnipotently, he guides and guards. Evil may be temporarily permitted, but ultimately it will be frustrated. And behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. And throughout this entire book of Esther, God stands silently in the shadows, choosing not to intervene supernaturally, yet carefully, providentially, he works out every detail of the book and of her life. So let me give you three observations 
to the book of Esther and write these out. These are blanks that you have there in your study guide. Here's three introductory observations to Esther. And I want you to look at a few things. Notice there in chapter one, if you're there, whether electronically or on paper, can you see some names here? And I just want you to look at these names. Like look at verse one, and there's a, a king by the name of Xerxes or Ahasuerus. Um, Xerxes was ruling over this whole nation and empire of Persia at the time. Let me give you some other names and you see places like in verse 3, there's places like Persia and Media and um, and if you go down a little bit farther like verse 5, you're going to see another place called the Citadel of Susa. And these are specific either locations or the Citadel obviously was a military fortified training facility that was noted in the book. And then there are some other names, like if you jump over to chapter 2, if you notice verse 5, it mentions the people like named Mordecai, son of Jer. And then you notice even some historical reference to a previous king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar there in verse 6. Or verse 7, it mentions Mordecai's relative named Hadassah, who we find out a little bit later on in that same uh, verse 7, um, her name was Esther. And so you wonder, okay, Xerxes, Esther, Persia, Media, Susa, Mordecai, really? And I want you to know, not only are these names and places biblical reality, Esther is a real-life drama. And I'm talking real life. Historical data understands the reality of King Xerxes. I want you to, if you ever want to Google, you just Google and you will understand that there are inscriptions to King Xerxes in the citadel of Susa that has been unearthed. That this is not merely something that we just believe the reality is our belief has even found its way into the hands of archaeologists. And this is known fact, people. Xerxes was a real king. Historians note him over and over. Esther and Mordecai are both mentioned by historians and even various spellings of their names occur in archaeological finds. This is all real business. And she's a real-life drama. And just as your life truly goes through challenges, this is a real young woman who went through real issues and really saw God do some awesome things. Her parents died when she was young. She was brought up by her uncle Mordecai, who lived under Persian rule. She was young. She was orphaned. She was in a foreign land. She was whisked away to the king's palace where she went through this test of sorts to see if she would be the next queen. Then while serving as queen, Esther understands that one of the king's court wants to exterminate all the Jewish people. And she takes one of the biggest risks ever. 
to save her people, and it could have cost her life. There's the loss of loved ones, there's loneliness, there's outside of comfort zone, there's a risk of personal safety, and I think this book has something that can fit any one of us here today. This is a real-life drama. Here's number two. This may catch you by surprise. Number two, there's no mention of God. Now, if you want to, you, you can go for it, gang. There's 10 chapters, and we have one, two, three, four, five, six. So we've got 12 different sections here in our auditorium. Each one of you could grab a, a chapter and read through it like this, and, and, and you're not going to find one mention of God anywhere in the book of Esther. Now, that may not catch you negatively, but I'm going to tell you there's been some people in biblical um, study that have struggled with it. And one even famous person, Martin Luther, at one point said that he wished the book of Esther had not been in the Bible because this really disturbed him that there was not a mention of God anywhere in this entire book. He couldn't understand a purpose of a book that never mentioned God, nor had him speak. And I believe, though, this is extremely intentional because it emphasizes the hiddenness of God's providential work. It emphasizes the reality that although we may not see something visible, that does not mean that God is not active. Why is he quiet? Does he know what's going on? And if you've ever asked that, this book is for you. Here's number three. Not only is this a real life drama, and not only is there no mention of God, number three, there's no mention of miracles. You go ahead and look. If you find a miracle in there, dinner's on me. I've been through it. There's no miracle in here. You know, when the children of Israel got in a jam in Egypt, the Red Sea opened, dry land, and they all walked across. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they went up against King Nebuchadnezzar, whoop, in the fiery furnace they went, and wow, there's a fourth person in there. Guess who that is? And out they came unscathed. They didn't even stink of smoke. And then here's Daniel going into the lion's den, and God shut their mouths, and whoop, out comes Daniel without a problem, without a scratch. But when Esther's crisis comes, there's no mention of God there's no mention even of a supernatural work. It's not there. I remember being in college. I went to a smaller Christian college, maybe about five, 600 people, and um, these kids would get up in chapel during student chapel, and one kid would say, I had a college bill that was $3,000. And I opened my mailbox. And there was a check for $3,000. And, you know, everyone, yay, and everyone clapped. And I'm thinking, I didn't get no stinking check. <laughs> you know, how come the miracle didn't come this direction? It's the same for Esther. Probably the same for you. Most of what happens in our lives appears to be 
the outworking of circumstances and their natural sequence. We don't see a supernatural boom. Let me just share with you what does happen in the end, though, is super. Think about this. God never needs to do miracles. Now, he chooses to occasionally do miracles based upon his design, but he never needs to. Most of the time, he works providentially, behind the scenes. It's why Esther just strikes to our heart. It mirrors so much of how God works in us every day. Every other book in the Bible contains the things that Esther lacks. Yet in the end, and this is the cool thing, in the end, whether God did a miracle with the children of Israel or whether God worked providentially with Esther, here's the beauty of it. In the end, the result is awesome because God brings everything about for his glory. God's people are delivered. Faith is honored. Heroes are made. And whether by the supernatural or by the providential, it's all done because God pulls everything together. I want to give you a verse of scripture that we're going to think about as we finish up. And these are some um, introductory lessons from the book of Esther that you'll see there in your sheet. Introductory lessons from the book of Esther. Here's that first check mark, and this is so beautiful. An introductory lesson for us to think about is God works through all our lives, not just the special events. God works through all of our lives, not just the special events. There's a verse of scripture that's so telling to this truth. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and I want you to look at it with me for a moment, and you're going to see it here on the screen. And we know, and here's the key thing, I want us to read it together because there's one word in there that just sticks out and it needs to remain burned in our hearts. So let's read this, Romans 8, 28. Would you read it with me? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called all things, all of it. Find something God's not working in. I dare you. You're not gonna. That's how in control God is. That's how what we call sovereign God is. That's how powerful. That is how we say omniscient. That is how all-knowing God is that there's nothing that goes on in our lives, whether miraculous or providential, there's nothing that goes on in our lives that he is not actively working in. And here's the beauty of it. Whatever it is, whatever that all is for you, he is working it for the good. He's working it all for the good. And this is the beauty of providence. It tells us even the regular, the mundane events of our lives are just as much God's work as the miraculous. And it doesn't have to be supernatural for it to be God. 
Because the Bible tells us God works it all together for the good of those who love him. All things. You don't need the bright light. You don't need the audible voice. You don't need the handwriting on the wall or the amazing supernatural healing or the incredible and unexplainable event. God chooses to do any of that. Praise his name. But if he chooses not, you don't need that to know that God is working in your life because he works all things for your good. I read this poem recently and how true it is. Listen to this. It says, things don't just happen to us who love God. They're planned by his own dear hand. Then molded and shaped and timed by his clock. Things don't just happen happen. They're planned. We don't just guess on the issues of life. We Christians just rest in our Lord. We are directed by his sovereign will in the light of his holy word. We who love Jesus are walking by faith, not seeing one step that's ahead, not doubting one moment what our lot might be, but looking to Jesus instead. We praise our dear Savior for loving us so, for planning each care of our life, then giving us faith to trust him for all, the blessings as well as the strife. Things don't just happen to us who love God, to us who have taken our stand, no matter the lot, the course, or the price. Here's that phrase. Things don't just happen. They're planned. And God works all things. The miraculous, the providential, for the good of those who love him. Here's the second check mark for us. And I want you to marinate in this just for a moment. God never has a crisis. We do. But God never has a crisis. Think about it. This week I read a story of a pastor whose wife had taken deathly ill. They just had the birth of their third child and she came down with type strep A infection and immediately went into septic shock and by nightfall was losing the fight for her life. The situation continued for nine long weeks and all involved were just thoroughly exhausted. And the writer mentioned about the story, the wife would have died four different times and yet she lived, but there were no dramatic miracles. Every time she was close to death, her body began to work in the way it needed to, but never until the last moment, never until every medical option had been tried and failed, and God never worked a spectacular or dramatic miracle, and yet after every crisis, he said, I could see evidence of his shadow moving in the background. He was at work in her body the way he often works in our lives, invisibly, but certainly. God returned the woman to health and to her family, and then he concluded this. In reflection... 
I realized that at each and every turn we face a crisis. Here's the big phrase. But God never did. Not for a moment was she in danger of death from God's perspective. Because God never has a crisis. We do. Here's the phrase I came out with. Maybe write it down or remember it. God has a purpose, not a crisis. God has a purpose, not a crisis. He's actively involved in the good and in the difficult because he has something amazing on the other end of it that he wants to do for your benefit and for his glory. Here's our takeaway for today. Here's our takeaway for today, and you see at the bottom, um, easier said than done. But I just, I want to elevate the reality that we need to trust God. We need to trust God. He may not work a miracle, but that doesn't mean he's not at work. In fact, just think about it. His orchestration of all of these various events, perfectly timed, perfectly developed, all brought together, is just as spectacular as if he intersected the laws of nature and did something miraculous. And God is so in control over every event and detail. The reality is he will never screw it up, and all we need to do is ramp up our level of confidence that God truly knows what he's doing. He's really in control, and we can trust him. And I can say that God works challenges and problems out for good because you're looking at a pastor that's a product of someone's second marriage. And I'm married to a woman who's the product of an adoption and an unwanted first pregnancy. And you're saying, you know what? Does God really work out problems for his good? Oh, you better believe it. He works it all. He works it all. We need to trust him. Here's, I was thinking, you know, how do I know I'm really trusting him? How do I know that I have a sense of confidence in God? And here's one I'm going to give you. And then we're going to finish up with some time of prayer together. Um, I thought of two ways we can show how we're really trusting him. One is um, more prayer, less worry. Hmm? More prayer, less worry. And I got thinking about this. What does worry tell God? Imagine being in God's perspective. What does worry tell God? I, I was reminded when um, sometimes our children are driving and we're in the passenger seat and all of a sudden um, a, a situation is happening and we don't like maybe how they're responding and you realize what we start doing, like that imaginary brake pedal, you know, we start doing this or or we reach you know, for the handle that's up here on the side or whatever may be the case. 
and, and we're showing them I lack the confidence that how you're driving this vehicle is really the way that I'd want it to be. And imagine, though, with our life and when we worry, the message we communicate to God. God, I don't know. I don't think you're driving this thing right. I think you're going to crash it. I think you're going to wreck it. We know our trust is ramping up when we pray more, worry less. And here's the last one I want to give you. Ways that I can communicate to God that I trust him. When we surrender more and control less. Surrender more and control less. When even if it's not really going the way I would want, I'm willing to say, God, this is not going to have my fingerprints on it. I surrender it to you. And I'm not going to control it. I'm not going to manipulate it. I'm going to tell you, I'm not asking you something God hasn't done. Because as we recognize the Lord's table today, there was even a point in time where Jesus was in a garden and he knew he was going to go through the ultimate penalty and death for your sin and for mine. And here's even a point where he said, you know what, God, Father, if, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he said these words, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Those are great words for all of us to say. That show God we trust him no matter what. God, I know this would not be on my to-do list, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Your will be done. Would you close your eyes with me just for a moment? I just want to have some internal reflection. As we looked at a tiny overview of what's going to be coming our way from the story of this young gal. Come on, let's just face it. We all have challenges and crises, every one of us. And I think that's what's attracting us so much to this. And with your eyes closed, I want to rehearse in your mind the reality. God's at work. He does work all things. Not just the good in our estimation. Not just the bad. He works all things. And it's for your good. It's for his glory. Sometimes we don't see that until the end of the story. Trust him. Would you take a moment of silent prayer? If you're going through a challenge right now, and my guess is we all are, would you emphasize to God, 
your desire to trust. Pray more, worry less, to surrender more, to control less. And even through the tough situations, to be yielded to the reality, I'm just not at the end of the story. He's doing some good things. Would you pray in your heart to him in the quiet right now and express your desire to trust? I give you a moment of silence. Talk to him, please. Father, you've heard the cry of our hearts. You know there are some big challenges that my friends here are dealing with today. And even some that I feel in my own heart. And God, we, we take comfort in the fact that you know. Even if we don't see the miraculous, we know you're doing something good. Help us to trust. Help us to lean and find peace in your strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Kind of a theme song we're learning together. God's in control even in our storm. Let's sing it together. Chuck Swindoll gives a story when he was in the Marines. He said our ship one time was at the northeastern um, corner of Formosa, now called Taiwan, near Taipei. He said we stopped there at the mouth of the harbor and awaited the arrival of the harbor pilot who came out and took the wheel of the ship and began to weave us through the pathless waters that led to the dock itself. And at first glance, he said it seemed so unnecessary. We could see the dock less than a mile away. But the closer we looked and the longer we looked over the side of the ship into the crystal clear waters, we could tell why we needed this harbor pilot. He said there were mines located randomly beneath the surface of the water. If the hull of our ship had nudged a mine just enough, disaster would have occurred pilot of the harbor knew where every mine was located. We just let, had to let him steer the ship. I want to encourage you, even though silent, God knows exactly where he's taking you, and it's for your good. We need to trust him. Let him steer the ship. Trust He'll get us where we need to go. Hey, God bless your week. God bless your life. I want to also encourage you, take the time and read through the book of Esther. Ten short chapters. Read it through this week. And I think you'll start to get a picture of how God works beautifully, even though silent. And if you read it this week, you come next week and let me know about it. And every one of you that reads it will get a free drink of water at the drinking fountain in the foyer. Your reward will be reading it. 
Hey, um, our helping hands offering as you go, your tear-off cards to the ushers as you go, grab our financial statement, our mission for 2018, and have an awesome week of God at work in your life. God bless you.